Hello, my beautiful sickos, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Horror Movie. For today's episode, we'll be deep diving into the true story behind the 2008 spook film, The Strangers. Why are you doing this to us? Because you were home. After returning from a wedding reception, a couple staying in an isolated vacation house receive a knock on the door in the mid-hours of the night. What ensues is a violent invasion by three strangers, with their faces hidden by masks. Ooh, that sounds spooky. So The Strangers is partially inspired by the Manson family cult murders of 1969. During his time as cult leader of the Helter Skelter crew, Charles Manson ordered Patricia Cranwinkle, Susan Atkins, Leslie Van Houten, and Tex Watson to murder innocent victims. After the Bobby Kennedy assassination in 1968, the 60s dramatically changed for the worst. Hope was replaced by fear and darkness for the American people, and a lot of people were so disillusioned that they gave up on day-to-day life and moved to communes. And girls as young as 14 years old were making the trips to the Southern Californian communes. Among these girls were Leslie Van Houten, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Cranwinkle. It's important to note that most of the followers Manson collected were actually vulnerable women who were looking for a sense of belonging and purpose. And even though I find it incredibly fascinating, I'm not going to focus too much on Leslie, Patricia, or Susan. As I watch the interviews with Leslie and Patricia, they never really take ownership of their actions but they are always very eager to mention their broken families and how they had a father-shaped hole in their hearts in which they just crammed joining a cult and killing innocent people into. These women all came from middle to upper class homes, but all hell broke loose when their parents got divorced. They rebelled, got caught up with drugs, and tried looking for love in the wrong places. A lot of kids' parents get divorced. In 1968, there were actually over 45,000 divorces in that year alone. And you don't see all the children of those divorces joining a fucking cult and murdering innocent people. While I won't be talking about the three amigos, I will be discussing Charles Manson. As the mastermind behind it all, I think it's important to know his background, as this paves the way for something a lot more sinister down the track. Charles Manson began life as a criminal spending time in and out of prison for crimes such as fraudery and pimping. This poor fucker didn't have the best role model either. When Charles was just four years old, his mother committed armed robbery and served several years in prison, leaving Manson to live with his stepfather. Five years passed, and the mother and son reunited. However, Charlie's descent into crime had already begun. At just nine years of age, he was regularly skipping school and committing petty crimes. Because of his behaviour towards society and authority, Manson ended up spending quite a lot of his time at reform schools and facilities for troubled young men. This unfortunately had the opposite effect on him, as during his stay, the petty crimes escalated to federal crimes, as he would regularly transport stolen cars across state lines. It was 1956, at just 19 years of age, when Charles Manson would receive his first adult prison sentence, and for the next 11 years, he would continue to be in and out of the system. At 32 years of age, 
Manson was released from a correctional facility in the state of Washington. From there, he made his way to San Francisco, where he found a home in the counterculture movement. Charles had been absolutely obsessed with being the centre of attention. So naturally, he became a spiritual guru and built up a following in the hippie field Height Ashbury, swallowed by the summer of love. This is where he met Patricia, Leslie and Susan. If you appeared to be looking for a father figure, spiritual guru or anything that required you to lean on him, then Charles would give you just that. Whatever you needed him to be, that's what he'd be. And there's actually a misconception that Charles Manson would go around recruiting women in California and train them to be serial killers off the bat. But these women were all looking for a connection, the missing piece to their lives. Charles would see their desperate need for family structure and use this to his advantage. He was the guidance they so desperately needed. So naturally, they would do anything for him. The Manson family story takes place over two years. According to the residents of the family ranch, the first year was filled with affection and support. The family meant everything to one another. Nothing could break their bond. Manson had been a spiritual blessing. He was playful, funny and kind. However, there was a turn for darker energy in July 1969, as Manson's ambitions turned increasingly violent. He believed there was a race war on the horizon and thought the Beatles were sending him secret directives on their White Album, specifically in their hit song, Helter Skelter. According to residents of the Spahn Ranch, Manson played Helter Skelter backwards and forwards, trying to figure out the secret code. The first victim of the Manson family murders was friend of the family, Gary Hinman. Manson family members Bobby Bussolet and Susan Atkins had come to collect money from Gary in July 1969. When Gary refused, allegedly under Manson's orders, Bobby and Susan killed him. On August 8th, 1969, under Manson's orders once again, Susan, Tex Watson, Patricia and Linda Kasabian drove to the home of well-established director Roman Polanski. Allegedly, Manson had ordered the group to kill whoever was in the house at the time. When they arrived, Linda was advised to keep watch on the street as Tex led Susan and Patricia to the Polanski home. While jumping over the estate's wall, Tex startled an 18-year-old Steve Parent, a friend of the family caretaker, who was on his way home. Tex shot him four times. Once inside, the group saw Roman Polanski's pregnant wife, Sharon Tate, enjoying a quiet night with her friends. Among these friends was Jay Sabring, Abigail Folger, and Wojtek Frakowski. Susan, Patricia, and Tex herded everyone into the living room. Jay was the first victim, as he was shot and stabbed by Tex, trying to protect Sharon Tate. Frakowski was next, as he tried to escape and get help. He was stabbed, bludgeoned, and shot by Tex. Abigail also tried to escape, unfortunately without success, as Patricia followed and stabbed her repeatedly. Meanwhile, Susan kept a watchful eye on a terrified Sharon Tate. 
she was bound around the neck and strung to the rafters. According to Susan, Sharon Tate had begged for her life. However, she held the same fate as her friends. By the time the Manson family were done, there had been five victims who were all stabbed over 100 times. The next night, on August 9th, Charles Manson pulled the group back together. This time, he and Leslie were to tag along. Manson drove the group to the home of local grocery store owner, Leno LaBianca, and his wife, Rosemary. According to Tex, Leslie, Patricia, and Susan, once Charles bound and gagged the couple, he left the premises. This was to avoid being an accomplice to murder if the group were caught in the act. During a lot of interviews, Leslie and Patricia say that Manson had always denied ever giving the orders to kill. However, they say that this is a lie. While Tex stabbed Leno to death in the living room, Patricia and Leslie guarded his wife, Rosemary, in the bedroom. Patricia attempted to stab her. However, this proved to be difficult, as Rosemary put up a pretty decent fight. So the two women yelled for Tex to finish the job for them. Tex, however, turned to Leslie, handed her the knife, and ordered her to do something. According to Tex, Manson had ordered him to ensure all members got their hands dirty. Leslie began to stab Rosemary in the lower back about 16 times. Now this is where you see how unhinged these women had become. On her way out of the LaBianca home, Patricia grabs a fork and begins to stab Leno's lifeless body. She actually leaves the fork in his back before writing Helter Skelter, Rise, and Death to Pigs in Leno's blood on the walls of the LaBianca home. One week after the Polanski house murders, the Los Angeles County Sheriff raided the Manson family compound. However, the authorities were hunting for stolen doom buggies, not murderers. So the Manson family were released just 48 hours later. This meant they were free to commit one more murder. Donald Shorty Shea, a ranch hand at Spahn, had been their last victim. Residents of the family ranch had started fearing for their lives as Shorty's blood-curdling screams erupted in the middle of the night. It's unclear as to what actually happened to Shorty. However, as this was going on, many residents, including 17-year-old Barbara Hoyt, took this opportunity to escape and never looked back. Four months after the Polanski house murders, Susan Atkins was charged with the murder of Gary Hinman. Susan was constantly boasting to her cellmate about the infamous murder she played a part in. She shared that the family were hiding in the desert and were going to kill again. Susan's cellmate felt responsible and told the authorities what she'd heard. With this new knowledge, police were able to round up the rest of the Manson family killers, including Patricia, Leslie, Linda, Tex, and Charles Manson. In December 1969, they were all charged with murder, but in exchange for her testimony, all charges were dropped from Linda. For almost a year, 
Manson played into the prosecutor's beliefs that he had controlled and directed the girls. They were as obedient in court as they had been in the victims' homes. According to Patricia, the entire proceedings were scripted by Charlie. Every day, the three girls would meet up with Charlie and talk about how they should behave in court. Throughout the trial, the three women were seen giggling and seemed detached from their current situation. They were still living in Manson's world, failing to understand what was happening. He was talking about how time was going to stop, that we were all just going to walk out, that everyone, everything was just going to stop, and we believed that. They would jump up in court and, and start chanting, the judge is just a woman, the judge is just a woman. Well, that was horrifying to the women in the courtroom. That was uh, seen by Charlie as the biggest insult. On many accounts, Patricia's psychologist, Dr. Andre Tweed, states that her responses were inappropriate and that she lacked concern for her situation and demonstrated bizarre ideas about right, wrong, life and death. Tweed felt that Patricia was earnest when she tried to convince him there was nothing wrong or evil in the universe. She believed that smiling, screaming and pain were all the same thing. She was heard on many accounts stating that there was no such thing as justice and that you are your own justice. Ultimately, on January 25th, 1971, after 10 days of deliberation, they found Charles, Tex, Susan, Patricia and Leslie guilty of all charges. Charles Manson and his followers were initially sentenced to death, but when California made the death penalty illegal in 1972, their sentences were commuted to life in prison. Charles Manson spent his life in the California State Prison in Corcoran before dying of natural causes on November 19, 2017. Patricia Krenwinkel remains incarcerated at the California Institution for Women in the district of Corona. On September 6, 2017, 68-year-old Leslie Van Houten appeared before a parole panel for the 21st time. This had been denied. She still remains incarcerated today, with little to no chance of parole. Susan Atkins died on September 24, 2009, at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. Tex Watson was given a five-year denial of parole at a board hearing on October 27, 2016. He remains incarcerated to this day. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and a very big thank you to our sources for this week, who will be linked in the description. Please feel free to email us at behindthehorrormovie at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at bthm underscore podcast. As for each episode, we'll post some images we found from the research. Have a great week, stay healthy, stay sane, and I'll get spooked with you next week for more true crime behind the horror movie.